Welcome to The Commentaries, a podcast series from TAN in which you'll learn how to read and understand history's greatest Catholic works from today's greatest Catholic scholars. In every series of The Commentaries, your expert host will be your personal guide to not just read the book, but to live the book, shining the light of its eternal truths into our modern darkness. Visit TANCommentaries.com to get your copy of the book and to subscribe for access to all the great reading plans, new episodes, bonus content, and exclusive deals for listeners of the commentaries. Brothers and sisters, welcome to the commentary series on the Confessions of St. Augustine. I'm Dr. Paul Thigpen, an author and retired professor of historical theology. This is the ninth episode of our series, and we're using the Tan edition of the book. Today we explore Book 7, chapters 1 through 16, St. Augustine's thoughts about the nature of God and the problem of evil. Let's begin with words from his prayer. O Lord, is there anything in me that can hide from your eyes, to which the deepest pit of human conscience lies naked? I would be hiding you from me, and not myself from you. Amen. For many readers, this seventh book offers a considerable challenge in following the author's thought. Augustine is recounting his intellectual struggles as he sought to leave behind any remnants of the Manichaean errors about God's nature and the nature of good and evil. He was wrestling with profound issues, both theological and philosophical. Since we're offering here a devotional commentary, we won't be diving deeply into the intricacies of the saints' theology and philosophy. Many of the translators' insightful footnotes are useful in that regard. Even so, if we are to draw close to Augustine's heart and mind and to learn from his experience, I think a few aspects of his struggle are worth noting here. The culture surrounding Augustine in his youth was by no means simply Christian. As we've noted in earlier episodes, his mother was a Christian but his father was pagan until late in life. The young man's education and encounters with his contemporaries introduced him to a variety of ideas about God and the world. At the time, popular religious and philosophical alternatives abounded. Christianity, Judaism, traditional Roman civic religions, various Greek and Roman schools of philosophy, and even religions with their roots in traditional beliefs of the East. In short, Augustine was immersed in a religious pluralism, something like we find in our Western culture today. Making his way through such a diversity of worldviews could be dizzying and confusing, just as it is for many of our contemporaries. Tracing the progress of his spiritual journey might allow us to help others as they follow a similar path. Among non-Christian and non-Jewish religious traditions, some were polytheist, that is, teaching that there are many gods, and others were monotheists, teaching that there was only one true God. The Manichees, with whom Augustine associated himself for some years, were dualist. That is, they professed an ultimate principle of good and an ultimate principle of evil, fighting for human souls. At the same time, monotheistic ideas about God's nature varied considerably in Augustine's surroundings. At this point, he was only beginning to grasp the Christian revelation of God's Trinitarian nature, a topic to which he would in later years devote an entire book. 
but he wrestled with questions about other essential aspects of God's nature as well, as presented by various traditions of his time. What is God's relationship to space and time? Is he physical? Does he have a material substance? Or is he immaterial? Is he bound by time or beyond time? Is he a thing in the same essential category as other things? Or is he in a category all by himself? Did he create the world out of nothing? Or was he more like a divine craftsman who used the fundamental matter of an eternal physical universe to fashion a world by shaping and organizing it? At this point, the saint recalls, he certainly believed in one God, and he had gotten past the common idea that God, as an aspect of his divine nature, has a human-like body. In fact, we should note that later Christian art, in its attempts to represent God the Father in a visible way, often portrayed him as looking like an old man. But the materialist views of the Manichees had influenced him to think about God as bodily in another way. He prays, And so I thought of you, life of my life, as something vast and endless space, penetrating the whole mass of the world, extending beyond it on all sides in space, without measure, without limit. So then the earth would possess you, and the heavens above, and all things besides, and they would have their limits in you, but you would have no limit anywhere. I thought of the sunlight, and how the body of air that lies above this earth does not obstruct it, but the light passes right through, and it penetrates the air, not by breaking it or cutting into it, but by filling it all. Just so, I reckoned that all bodies, not only of the heavens and the air and the sea, but even of the earth, give you free passage, penetrable in all their parts from the greatest to the least. They take your presence within them, while from within and without, by your secret inbreathing, you govern all things you have created. I think many people today might at first consider that to be a pretty good way of talking about God. That was my guess, Augustine concludes, because I could not conceive of anything else. But it was false. Why? He tells God. For by this reasoning, a bigger portion of earth would possess a bigger portion of you, and a smaller likewise. All things would be filled with you in such a way that the body of an elephant would get more of you than the body of a sparrow would, just insofar as it is bigger and takes up a bigger place. So too, you would make your own parts present in them bit by bit, big parts for big things and little parts for little things. It is not so. You see, Augustine had been reading the books of Greek philosophers in the Platonist tradition. Today we call them Neoplatonists. And their reasoning had convinced the young man that such a thing could not possibly be truly God. If God is composed of some material substance, no matter how vast and penetrating, then he could be divided up into pieces. He could be changed. He could even be assailed and injured and corrupted, just as the Manichees were teaching. Instead, the philosophers convinced him, one who is truly God, the highest perfection, cannot be like that. He must be utterly different from his material, changeable creation. He is not a part of it, nor is it a part of him. He does not fill space or the things that occupy space. He is in another category altogether. And because he is utterly beyond his creation, he can be fully, perfectly present to every part of it. As the saint confesses to God, And I looked back at other things and saw that they owe their being to you, and that all finite things are in you, but in another way, 
not as in a location. Rather, you hold all things in your hand, in your truth. Augustine insists, No soul was ever able, and none ever will be able, to conceive of anything better than you, who are the best and highest good. So, he explains, we must not attribute to God a characteristic if we can conceive of something better than that characteristic. For example, for God to be immutable, to be unchanging, is better, is higher, is more perfect than to be mutable, that is changeable, unstable, uncertain, unreliable. If God is the best and highest good, then only the best and highest conceptions of Him can be true. As the translator points out in a footnote, this is to say that God is not simply the greatest of existing beings, but the greatest conceivable being. He is not even on the same plane of reality as everything else that exists. Augustine uses a powerful image, one from Scripture, to speak of how God is a category of reality altogether different from everything else, and how everything else is dependent upon him for its existence. Echoing St. John's first epistle, which declares, God is light, Augustine prays, I entered into my inmost parts with you, my God, as my guide. By the eye of the soul, I saw above that same eye of my soul, above my mind, the unalterable light. Not this light of common day that all flesh may look upon, nor something grander than that, but of the same kind, as if this sunlight should shine out more and more brilliantly and fill the whole universe with its power. That light was not this light, but other, wholly other, from all these. Nor is it above my mind as oil lies above water, or as the heavens are above the earth. It was higher because it was this light that made me, and I was lower because I was made by it. Whoever knows the truth knows this light, and whoever knows it knows eternity. Next, Augustine goes on to speak about how he wrestled with another great question, the problem of evil. I could not grasp the cause of evil, he recalls. I could not untangle the matter. The good God created good things, and see how he surrounds them and fills them. Where then does evil come from? Where and how does it creep in? What is its root? What is its seed? Does it even exist at all? Even today, few could honestly say that they have never had to struggle with this issue. No wonder the young man at first found the Manichaean teaching to be attractive. The Manichaeans taught that evil was a substantive principle in the universe that corresponded to the principle of good and was in conflict with the good. So good was not the origin of evil, it was fighting to overcome it. In addition, the material world was not created by the good, but for the Manichaeans was a consequence of the evil that imprisoned particles of the good. So all evil in the world, it seemed, could simply be attributed to the evil principle and its manifestation in matter. Even so, Augustine tells us, the Greek philosophers helped him to realize that evil is not a substantial thing in itself, as the Manichaeans taught. Instead, evil is a diminishing of the good, a loss or lack or deficit of the good. So nothing could be perfectly evil if it were it would not exist. The Manichaeans were wrong. As an analogy, think of light and darkness. Light is a thing that actually exists in itself, a form of energy. But darkness does not exist in itself. 
Instead, it's simply a loss or lack or deficit of light. When the door of a dark room is open to bright sunlight outside, the darkness does not spill out of the door to displace the light. Instead, the light enters the room and fills the darkness. In the same way, heat is a thing that actually exists in itself, another form of energy. But cold does not exist in itself. Instead, cold is simply a loss or lack or deficit of heat. This is not at all to say, of course, that evil is an illusion. It simply means that when we encounter evil, we are dealing with something good created by God that has lost something of its original goodness. Even Satan himself is not purely evil. He possesses existence, life, intellect, a will, certain capacities for action, all of which are good in themselves and were created that way by God. If Satan were to become purely evil, losing all these goods, he would cease to exist. All things that are corrupted, Augustine insists, are deprived of some good. If they were deprived of all good, they would quite cease to be. As long as they do exist, they are good. Here and in later works, in the light of this reality, Augustine would come to understand how evil came to be and can coexist in the world with a good, all-powerful God. God created all things good, but the evil, the loss of the good, has come about through the free choices of angels and human beings who rebelled against him. Cutting themselves off from the source of all that is good, they caused their own goodness to be diminished. Augustine declares, I asked what iniquity really is, and I found it was no substantial thing, but rather a warping of the will, stubbornly turning away from you, O God, who are the summit of being, and turning instead to the lowest things, or as he describes it in other places, it is a disordered love. Much of Book 7 describes how Augustine, like some ancient Christian theologians before him, found in the Greek philosophers what seemed to be traces of divine realities revealed in Christian teaching. As a wise Christian mentor once told him, the books of the Platonists, in all kinds of ways, implant in the bosom God and His Word. Augustine thus illustrates a spiritual principle we do well to remember today. Hints of the Gospel can sometimes appear in non-Christian culture and we can use them to help seekers of truth on their journey to Christ. As an example, he notes how St. Paul, in preaching to the pagan Greeks in Athens, actually quoted one of their pagan poets to help build a bridge of understanding. Augustine is grateful for the contribution of these pagan works to his spiritual journey. Even so, he recalls, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. I did not read there. What was missing was the central truth of the Christian faith that gives meaning to everything else, the Incarnation. A quick side note. You may recall from an earlier episode how the young Augustine was challenged by a friend to abandon the practice of astrology. In this book, we learn how he finally made that move. He was pressed to admit that if astrology is true, then two people born at essentially the same time, under the same configuration of heavenly bodies, should have the same fortune. But experience proves otherwise, as in the case of the biblical twins, Jacob and Esau. In the next episode, we'll hear how such struggles of heart and mind led Augustine toward Jesus Christ, the mediator between God and man. For now, let's end with a prayer from this passage. O eternal truth, 
and true charity and beloved eternity. You are my God, and for you I sigh day and night. Amen. This has been an episode of The Commentaries, a podcast brought to you by TAN. To follow the show, study more of the greatest Catholic classics, and to support the commentaries and other great free content from TAN, visit TANCommentaries.com to subscribe and use coupon code COM25 to get 25% off your next order, including the confessions and countless more spiritual works to deepen your interior life and guide you to heaven.